Hello, everybody. Mary Davidson here, co-host of the Better Events Podcast. We are excited for today's episode as we are talking through creating a great event proposal. This is something that is bringing it back to the basics, but it is super important. And so please stick around. We have some useful tips and tricks for you today. Additionally, if you are finding value out of this podcast, we would love for you to leave us a review. And we love five-star reviews. This really helps us grow the community. We want to share this knowledge with others. And so through that review, we can have the means to help spread the word about the Better Events podcast even more. So thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for listening. And here we go into this week's episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. I'm Logan Clements, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by fellow co-host Mary Davidson. And to kick off this week's episode, we're going to do a quick conversation starter before we dive into our topic on event proposals. And Mary, my conversation starter this week for you is, would you rather be too busy or too bored? Oh my goodness. I... Well, I think I would probably say too busy, which I think might be... I don't know. Is that like a healthy answer? I just really don't like to be bored. Like, and that's how I've always been, even when I was a little kid. And so I think rather, rather too busy. What about you? Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit of a setup. I was thinking about what you might say and realized that we're both event people who probably love the idea of being busy. Um, (laughs) So yes, for me, it is honestly harder to be bored and do nothing. I just got back from taking some time off and I will say it was effort which just like sounds like a weird brag sometimes, but it really was. (laughs) So I'm glad I took the time off to relax and recharge because the first half of the year was really busy and it is uh, starting to escalate for the rest of the year. So yeah. Depends on the, yeah, definitely depends on, I feel like the time. Both are important. Maybe there's a happy medium there. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Mary, you want to tell our uh, listeners why we chose this week's topic? Yes, definitely. So um, this topic today, we're talking about creating a great event proposal. And this is one of those, I would say, like basic topic um, that we've covered quite a few like that. But this is another one of them. This is super important. Creating a proposal when you are an entrepreneur, freelancer, or maybe you're thinking about going into it. um, Proposals are a big part of the process. And so we might as well talk about it. So that is why we chose this topic today. Yeah, I feel like you hit the nail on the head where it is very much like an important topic if you're getting started, but it's one that I'm going to kind of like give away a little bit of the lead, but it like it's always changing and evolving. And so I feel like no matter if you were just getting started or you've been in business forever, um, this is really helpful just to, I know I'm always curious of other people's processes for how they put together proposals because out of all of the parts of the event process, this one is pretty much always behind closed doors. You don't get to see the proposal of the vendors that you then see doing an amazing job on site. So my goal with this and our goal with the podcast, I feel like for this episode is to kind of let you guys in on our pro- our processes, talk and really break down what's the proposal, but also caveat with it that this is just, I'm going to be sharing my process, Mary sharing her process. You might do it completely different. And that doesn't mean we're right, you're wrong. You're right, we're wrong. But it just hopefully will spark some ideas next time you're trying to uh, win business with a proposal. Yeah, definitely. And so 
as you all know, if you've listened to our podcast for a while, we kind of really start at the basics when we, when we, on like on each episode. And so for today, we're starting basic again. So if this is new for you, um, we'll start with this. So what is an event proposal, Logan? What is it to you? To me, it is uh, the next step after you have a discovery call or, you know, you initially meet a client and it's the process of you actually laying out your services and your pricing of what you're actually going to deliver. Um, that being said, it can be often options. It doesn't have to be. It can Some people see this as a menu. It's probably a good analogy is like at a restaurant, you see a menu. That's the proposal of the food you could be ordering. And then you get to select what you want. Um, so for me, it's just a really helpful place to lay out all like what I do, what I'm expecting of the client, how much it's going to charge, and anything else I think we need to like agree on to then move forward as confirmed clients and then going into the contracting stage. This is like the middle ground between the sales call and yes, sign on the dotted line. We are for sure working with each other. How about you, Mary? How would you define an event proposal? Yeah, I would define it similarly. And it's changed over time, which I'll say, because I think we're going to talk about a little bit how we our process has changed over time. But for now, like right at this moment, what it is for me is like you're saying something kind of between a initial conversation and like contract signing. And it's always for me, you know, it's that, that phrase, like I have a conversation with the client, have a discovery call, I learn exactly what they need. And then I say, well, I'll put a proposal together for you. And that's what this proposal is. And so, yeah, it outlines what I believe their needs are based on what they've told me. And so it gives them another chance to confirm if that was correct or not. And then I provide pricing based on what they have said. And so I love proposals. I know quite a few people who don't do them. And maybe we'll talk about why that is maybe not the best idea. But um, I love them so much because it gives you such an opportunity to ensure that you're both on the same page about the services that you're going to be providing, which is key for scope creep, which we've talked about before. So there you go. Whole episode on it. You can go back and listen <laughs> about scope creep. But yeah, I think very you hit on such an important part of the process. It's not just sales. It's also a way to establish boundaries to establish expectations and like get on the same page because I'm with you. There are some vendors and I know, and I mean, I was guilty of this probably on my first early days of doing more of like uh, a verbal agreement, you know, where you're, I mean, that's yeah. the other bonus of this is usually proposals in writing. So it's just something that you can go back to. So that kind of brings me to our next question, Mary, like, how do you, we will talk about, how do you use your proposals in your business? So I have what I mentioned and I've talked about in other episodes, which is the an initial discovery call. This is a free meeting that I have with a potential client where they, they have shown that they're interested. And so this is us sitting down and me basically interviewing them about their events with the purpose of creating a proposal. And that's what I tell them. And because they want to know the golden, you know, the number one question, which is how much is it going to cost? And so that's what it takes. And so that's how I, I really use them. And so that's how I use them to, to create a contract. Um, which, uh, is not something that I like, I guess, so proposals contract to me, those have been similar things. So I'd actually love to hear at some point, Logan, whether now, or if it's later on in the episode, whenever applicable, what your thoughts are on a proposal versus a contract. Cause in my mind, they've been super similar. They've kind of been one, one entity. Um, so that's how I kind of use them in my business. Um, and I would say that I wouldn't consider a proposal for me like an ever-changing document. It's pretty firm. Once it's signed by me and the client, that is our Bible in a sense. That's what we're going off of. But that's just me. So what about you? 
Yeah. I mean, as I confessed to earlier, I think when I first started, I definitely did a lot of, you know, verbal agreements or an, a sentence in an email of like, yeah, I'll help you out. And here's how much I charge. While that's not wrong, I use proposals, like Mary said, like it's a great way both to showcase what you can do, but then also have a, a written document that is something that I use in my contracts to refer back to being like, hey, here's what we talked about, especially with events and especially the last two years, I feel like folks don't know what they need. And so it's really helpful to go back to being like, hey, here's what we wrote down that both of us agreed upon that this is what you thought you need. This is what I thought you needed. And you can revisit that should there be scope creep like we talked about or things changing. Um, I still treat it like a sales document. So it's uh, not a lot of legal jargon in mine. Um, and it's a way when I say showcase your services, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this like best practices. But I always I like to give options because like Mary said, this is the place where you're actually putting like a price on your services. And it's up to you of how you want to lay them out. I know some folks who bill work based on hours. Some do a project rate, but I'll often do a couple different options. You might see this as like packages, as like low, medium, high, or I've seen it in a you know bronze, silver, gold in a nice way. But nice. it's sometimes <laughs> helpful to like show your clients the variety and the range, especially as a planner or producer of what you can do, especially if you're willing to have that flexibility to say, hey, especially with nonprofits, I think of, but I've done it with everyone. Like if you only have this much, here's what that gets you. But if you have a stretch, here's what it gets you. And then here's something in the middle. And that just helps get their brain going. Just like I said, that like restaurant menu that helps them decide, okay, yes, this is what I want. Yeah. And I like how you do your proposals. And I think it is really a good sales strategy in that sense, like you said, like to provide those options that you're referring to. And I know um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about is what do we actually include in our event proposals? So I guess this is a good transition to that because I know that you typically include options and that's something I've been trying to do more. Um, and the options, like, I guess just think about it, like take a moment and think if you, if you were the client that you're talking to and you hear them, you have your discovery meeting, you figure out what their needs are, you create a proposal and then there's only one price on there. And I think there's lots of things that that client might wonder. They might wonder what's included in that price exactly. Um, well, what if that price is over budget? Is it going to be easier for them to say no because that's the only option that you've given them? So I think there's lots of reasons why you want a detailed proposal, like the best case scenario, perhaps detailed proposal that's very specific and then provides them options. So um, mine typically include like a project description, like basically in that paragraph, I try to prove that I listened to our conversation. <laughs> I, I write down exactly what I perceive their event to be based on what they've told me. And that's kind of their opportunity to like, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess. And then um, I put the purpose of my company and then I just list um, specific services of what I would offer. I say like example of services and then a description. And so those include a whole lot of things, which maybe I'll, I'll come back to, but I want to hear what Logan, you include first. But basically just listing out those services and then providing those options, those package options, um, and then some terms and conditions at the end. And then I have them sign it. So that's mine. But what about you, Logan? Yeah, for mine, similar flow. I think the framework I'm in when I'm dealing with, because I, I have a proposal and then I have a contract. Those are two separate things. And I view my proposal a little bit still as like a sales. Um, it's a sales tool for me. So I like to have it read a little bit more like a story. So similar to you, Mary, where I'll kind of list out a little bit like a brief where I've described what I know about the client and the event they're asking me for. I give a little bit of a nice little spiel about me in case they're trying to sell me to stakeholders and they need some bio. It's like a couple sentences. And then I have like an objective section where I bullet out. It's anywhere from like two bullets to six bullets of the high level things I'm going to do for them. 
And then I actually break out that role as another, my third section. It's my role. Usually it's like hybrid event strategy, event production or virtual event production or just event production or event management. Um, and then I break down those objectives, those big ones. I break them down into subtasks or sub responsibilities. And then my favorite part of my um, proposal is I do have a section on there for my client. So I have a role of what I'm playing in this event and I have a role for client. And that's where I actually list things that the client has told me they're going to do. And this has been really helpful for me when referring to it later, if there were things that they had told me they could do and then they didn't end up being able to do it and I had to help out with them. Like I have it in writing versus when I first started, I would just it was implied if it wasn't listed under what I listed out, that meant I wasn't doing it. But I found that wasn't really as helpful as making sure that everything that kind of could fall under my purview, if it's not listed in my role, I've listed in the client section. And that's only usually like five or six bullets. But that could be like an example would be they're providing a day of event Stafford or to monitor the chat on the event day and just having that in writing so they know that if that comes up, hey, that's fine. You agreed to it. I could either increase my scope or if I have to bring on another person, like I have something to go back to. Yeah, I have seen that and I, I've seen that you've done that and I really like it. I've been meaning to implement it and just haven't yet, but it just makes it that much more clear, which is amazing. So <laughs> love that you do that for sure. Um, and it's hard. I was thinking as you were explaining this, um, like if, if you're listening to this, it's hard if you're like a visual thinker because we're explaining how we list it out. And maybe if you like saw it, it would be a little easier, but I will say there's not I mean, maybe there's a wrong way to do a proposal, but how Logan and I have figured out how to do it is just kind of on what works for us. So take the tidbits that you can and then try to create your own. And then as you do events, you'll learn what you need to include in them. Definitely. You'll be like, ah, that would that would have probably helped me. I want to stick that in there next time. So in a sense for you internally, it is an ever-changing document. Once you send it to your client, that's more final, but you can continue to change it over time. So just wanted to to call that out as well. And I think one thing with formatting, I I know I work off of like a Word doc. So I like words, like Mary's talking about visual. Depending on your medium, maybe you're a florist or a photographer. Maybe your proposals is more visual. I've definitely been a part of a larger event agency that their entire proposal was slides and very visual. That's okay too. Um, I've just, again, I like it because it's in a Word document. It's very functional for me to then utilize it again in my contract. Um and then the last part of what I lay out in my proposal is I call it investment. That's my price. Um, and I put that all the way at the end because ideally I've convinced you with all of my stuff above that you are seeing the value in my services and then I'm hitting you with the price tag. And so it's a kind of a nice flow to get people familiar with all the work I'm doing for them. And now here's how much it's going to cost. Like I said, I use it more as sales, so I don't get really too into the legal jargon, but I do list my terms like I asked for 50% up front. And certain things, so that's not like a surprise when they agree to work with me. Um, and then I'll also call out anything that's not included uh, for events now that we're going back to in-person. That could be like travel or, yeah, my flights. They'll be billed as actual when I actually book it. Or this doesn't include the cost of the platform or, you know, anything else. I kind of will call it out on the proposal because I really don't like, I hate vendors that surprise you with fees. And so I like to practice what I preach. And I ideally don't surprise anybody else. But Mary, what's the rest of your proposal look like? Yeah, so um, it's what you just said. There are things that I put in the contract piece of the proposal, but that I call out as an extra step in the actual proposal because I don't want it to be missed. And those are things like um, when, so, so let me give some context first. What I've noticed when I start projects is that a client is excited, which is great, 
and they want to start immediately, but their event's not till like the end of the year. And so I've started putting in timeframes because I want them to feel like that theirs is the only event I'm working on. But in reality, there are priority events that are coming way before theirs. And so the fact of the matter is that those take priority. And so I try to put in um, kind of a time frame, or if nothing else, like a disclaimer that says like the like frequency of communication will be like this, and then it will increase two months to two weeks prior to the event. So they just don't expect me to talk to them every day. That's what I'm trying to kind of portray there. Um, so I kind of put a disclaimer about that there. And then I also put, um, so because I do a lot of fundraising events, I put that I won't be responsible for procurement of any sponsorship or donated items. Um, I personally don't front costs and a lot of people do, but like for the most part, I don't. And so I put something in there that I won't front cost for like items or decoration or design creation or things like that. And I also, this sounds like a lot, how I, how I listed out, I would say is pretty simple. It's like a nice little paragraph, but I'm explaining it more for you all. But, um, like I won't provide the manpower for event setup and tear down. Um, like, cause I list this right under my services cause it's not listed in my services, which means I'm not doing it. So I want to make sure they know I'm specifically not doing <laughs> these things. Um, and then a couple other things I put are, um, like if any needs above and beyond the services listed, then I would charge an hourly rate of such and such. Once again, it's to kind of help protect against that scope creep. The reality is I hope I don't have to do something that's beyond the scope, but if I do, that it will be compensated for. Um, and that's kind of, those are all my disclaimers, which sounds like a lot, but I like how I lay out my proposals. I feel like it makes sense. <laughs> so hopefully that well, but I, I think your disclaimer is, it's like your section you were talking about that you, you don't have necessarily that I have of like the client section. That really is like, if yeah. you're not doing it, you're implying the client does it. And I will, I will caveat, like when I say client on my, on my, um, on my proposal, I don't actually mean like my client has to be the one moderating the chat or physically breaking things down, but like it's on them to have that person. Right. So it's just, I think it's helpful to have some of those call outs. My contract definitely has a lot more specifics about yeah. things like cancellation fees and meals and parking and some of that stuff that I don't call out on my proposal. But again, it's like, it's enough to give someone the feeling that you're not going to surprise them later on. Um, and it sounds like Mary and I both have similar flows and we've worked on projects together. So I'm not too surprised that we've kind of yeah. have Combined. a similar flow to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I just have found like transitioning kind of to our next part of it is like what happens to our proposal after we book a client? Uh, so to answer your earlier question, Mary, I actually use my proposal as my um, scope of work in my contract. So I have a big contract with lots of legal jargon in it. Um, again, I, I don't love legal jargon, but it's necessary to kind of protect cl client's interest as well as my own. And then I always say like, see appendix A, and that's our scope of work. And I will actually, I remove uh, everything except I'll take out the packages depending on what they chose. So I'll only leave in the one they said yes to. And I will actually take that document and put it as the appendix scope of work in my contract. So I'm not changing anything. This is like what we're agreeing to, this proposal but then it's something that is a part of my contract and I have on hand moving forward. And as I've gotten busier and worked more events, like Mary saying of wanting your clients to feel special and they're your only client, I've actually used this proposal. The proposals have been so helpful. I've printed them off before to like check off as I achieve yeah. all of the things I said I was going to do. Because when I get busy, I feel like sometimes I'm not, I, you know, I feel like I maybe I'm not servicing my client to the best of my ability. And then I look through and I go, oh, I actually, I hit everything and did more. You know, mm -hmm. and that's just sometimes nice to go back for yourself and see that you've actually 
you know, held up your side of the agreement, especially if you're someone that's a little type A, as, yeah. as I would qualify myself as. <laughs> How that's do you agree, Mary? Yeah, well, real quick, because that's a great point, what you were just saying, because like I I will say kind of when I when I started my business, it was one of my first events. I had a client come back and that was, they said like, wait, I thought that you were doing this specific, specific task. So I went back and looked at the proposal and I was like, yep, I am. Dang it. That looked terrible. Right. And so <laughs> that was like a really, really quick learning lesson. But like, not only is it nice to go back and check, but it's nice to keep you on track for sure. So like, just check in on your proposal once in a while and make sure you're actually doing what you said you were going to do, because it's your job to remember. It's not the client's job necessarily. So there yeah. you go. Had to hit that nail on the head again. But um, so, yeah. So your question was, what happens? What do you use your proposal for after you've signed the client or they're booked? They're officially so, interested. Yeah. So I go back and refer to it. But additionally, um, mine, and this is what I was hinting to earlier, but I want to make this clear distinction is mine is different than Logan's in the sense that it is one document, the proposal and contract are the same. So when I send it to them, they can sign it. And if they sign it, that means that, you know, that's what it is because the terms and conditions are included. Now, this is where I'm also going to say is just go talk to a lawyer because <laughs> there, there's probably a, a more proper way to do it. I think Logan's is really in depth in a great way. And so just figure out what works for you and then go talk to somebody who's a professional when it is in regards to contracts. So that's the caveat I'm going to put on that one. Um, and but go yes. back to listen to uh, episode 60 with our uh, interview with Lauren, who talks about some yes. of the legal things you should think about as a small business owner. And she's got some some good tidbits there about contracts. Yeah, absolutely. And so besides referring back to it, I would say there's not that much more that I use it for. It's really kind of like the part of the, the front of the process for me. Um, so one other thing, though, that popped in my mind, too, is if this is overwhelming to you, you're like, I don't want to create a proposal. There are services out there that create it for you. Like we had Rock, Paper, Coin on the podcast. And so we can link that episode in the show notes as well. But they I know that they do like contracts and help um, with vendor communications and things like that. So look into that if that's just one example of maybe they can also help create a proposal since they're doing the contract piece. And so there are resources out there if you'd rather go that route as well. Yeah, I think that's a nice transition, Mary, to our next. We're just going to kind of talk about some best practices and tips for writing a great event proposal. Um, one thing that I would say is, while all of my proposals are unique to the client and the specific event, I have gotten to the point where I pretty much I do have some templates or at least the same structure, no matter what the, the proposal is. And that has been really helpful as a business owner, both to save time, like I mentioned to you guys in the beginning. I have a bio about myself. I'm not changing that with every proposal. I try to update it maybe every six months if there's something I want to call out specifically, but I can kind of copy and paste that framework. And then it's also helpful actually to your clients because then you're consistent on pricing or you're at least learning, Here, here's what I charged last time. Okay, you know, my price has gone up or it was actually a lot more effort and I spent more time than I thought. Like it helps you just kind of grow as a business, but it is helpful to have a couple, I have like a couple that I use um, depending on what kind of services, virtual, hybrid, in-person that folks are looking for. Um, that has helped me just kind of speed up my process because I've heard from other business owners, you sometimes miss out on work if you forget to send someone a proposal. <laughs> you know, you have like a great discovery call with them and then you get busy and you say, oh yeah, I'll send you a proposal and you get busy. It happens. It's happened to everybody, but you don't want to be that person because it also starts that 
you know, first impression off on the wrong foot if you're already behind deadlines. So I found any way I can kind of save myself time so that I can then dedicate it to, like Mary talked about, specifically getting into the wording that my client used about their event or their specific requests. Like the more brain power I can use on that and less on like the formatting and flow and certain things I do for every event, like creating the run of show, I don't have to write that every time. So that's my big one if you can template it, but make it personal. Yeah, that's a great point because they do take a chunk of time. So that's also a good expectation to set with yourself is it takes time. And you want it to take time because you're trying to win that win that project. But yeah, good, good point. And then so I guess along with that is um, as far as tips and tricks go, I definitely tried to, to say I'm going to send you a proposal by end of day Friday. And that's purely for me <laughs> just to keep myself accountable. So absolutely. Um and then um, also, I mentioned this earlier, but thinking of your proposal from a cl the client perspective. So just take a minute. If you haven't looked at it in those eyes, try to do that way because you'll see what is going to be confusing to them and then you can simplify it um, or you can see maybe what you don't include, what they probably would want to know. And so just really try to anticipate your client's needs and look at it from that lens. So take just like take time to do that like a once over and do that. Or maybe send it to somebody, actually. That would be great, too. Somebody can be like, hey, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, yeah, I have my partner reads mine sometimes, yeah. when I, especially when I'm working with something new and I'm trying to explain it and like, you know, mm -hmm. and stranger – I always try to say it's like if a stranger from Mars landed on Earth, could they read my proposal and understand what I'm talking about? And that would be my goal. And so, yes, that's been helpful to have someone else also catch sometimes the occasional copy and paste error, but yeah. mainly just like, does this make sense? And he'll be like, yes. No, or I think feel like you and I have worked on proposals where it's like, does this make sense? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, also, I tried to internally, like after I, you know, we're, we're set on the proposal, I've started working on the event internally. I'll try to track. So what I should say, when I create my proposals and do my pricing, I think about how many hours it's going to take me. And so I want to make sure I'm tracking my time, but I'm not necessarily like referring to a time tracker in this scenario, I'm just saying, use your proposal, go back, look at the the services you said you were going to provide, um, which because when you were figuring out your pricing, you were probably figuring out how much these services were really going to cost internally. And then um, so compare your time tracked to the specific services that you're offering and after. Hopefully that's making sense what I'm saying. So not just your time tracked as a whole, but for the specific services you're listing in your proposal as well. Because you, little little do you know that that um, the vendor communications you say you're doing in every single proposal actually takes you eight hours instead of five. And you just didn't know because you weren't looking at it like line item by line item. So that's another tip or trick, I would say. Yeah. And I think we talked about it earlier, but having um, packages, again, that would be my number one. I found that's really helped, especially if you're working with a client who doesn't have a budget. And again, this can apply to any vendor who works in events. I feel like often even like photographers, videographers, venues even, like a lot of people just don't know what to expect. So it's really helpful if you're kind of giving them a couple options that can also show them just the diversity of what you're able to do. You can do low, you can do high in between. I also will sometimes even add on menu items. So these are like additional team members for things that maybe at, when we start do when we agreed to this proposal, the client said they wanted to do, but I want to let them know, hey, if you add 10 more speakers, I need an event assistant. 
it's going to cost X. So again, it's not a surprise conversation if when they go, yeah, our speakers did increase by 10 people. And I go, great. So I'm going to bring on that event assistant. They saw the pricing already ahead of time when they agreed to it. Like again, no hidden fees. And I will say not everyone does this. So if you are an event planner, producer, or someone who works with other vendors, if you're not seeing this on their proposals or contracts, it's helpful to try to get and ask those questions as soon as possible for some of those things that we're calling out um, just so you can avoid those hidden fees. But and again, it really depends on that's just like one of add that to my event pet peeves along with signage about hidden fees from vendors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a great point as well. Yeah. Um, that's something I've added in mind too, since it's like how it's changed is I've learned I kind of like almost no matter what event it is, it kind of depends. I want an event assistant. It just makes it better for everybody. And so I'm trying to put that in the proposal now, like always. So yeah, the services offerings have changed, the layouts changed the options have been added. So lots of progress, I would say, hopefully <laughs> over the couple of years. So Logan, um, unless there's anything else we want to talk about for great event proposals, I think it's time for our bonus tip for the day. Yeah, this week's bonus tip is it's not always about you. I read this in a book about boundary setting. Um, we're going to link to it in the show notes from a event pro book club that recently started a couple months ago. And it was in regards to like any interaction that you might have that maybe frustrates you. And it was just this very interesting, I don't know why, it's not always about you. We're always kind of a little self-centered at times, but this can be applied to like dealing with a frustrated client or maybe someone who cuts you off in line or a boss or colleague who asked you to do something last minute and you're just like, why? It feels like someone's ganging up on you or something you did. It's often about the other person or the other party involved. And that's something that I know in events when we're all stressed out on site, Sometimes it's helpful just to remind yourself that they're stressed about the larger situation and not because there was a period missing on a slide that was on screen or something. So just breathe. It's not always about you. And I highly recommend this boundary setting book by uh, Nedra that we will link in the show notes. Awesome. Great. Just life tip in general right there. Love it. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Better Events Podcast. If you would like to find us or follow us, we are on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Better Events Pod. We're also on LinkedIn. You can send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much again for listening to another episode of the podcast. And we will be with you next Wednesday. 